You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision, and we are in it deep in the book of Hebrews. And uh, this is good stuff. I hope you're enjoying the study of of the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are now on chapter four, and uh, we're just we're we're getting into it. This is the heart of it, and and I love this. And uh, so let's go ahead and have a prayer, and we'll jump right on in. Okay, so let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for. Uh, just uh, speaking to us, sharing with us, reaching out to us, loving us, and helping us in so many great ways, ways that we see, ways that we don't see, ways that we're aware, ways that we are not aware. Uh, We pray, Father, that as we study your word, that our hearts and our minds will be wide open to being molded, to being uh, developed, to being educated, to being taught, to being trained by you, God. Please bless our study, open our hearts and our minds as we open our Bibles, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 4. Here we go. So he starts out, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Um, So he starts out, you know, he he picks up a theme that's actually going to get picked up a lot in the coming chapters, the, the promise of entering his rest. Of course, we have the, the, he's been using the, the Exodus and the, the, the leaving, the Hebrews leaving Egypt as analogous to what is happening in their life, in the Christian life. And one of the great things about the book of Hebrews is it's kind of, it, it, it's a good, uh, uh, example and a good path of how a Christian today should look at the Old Testament. And, and that's, that's basically what he's doing through the book of Hebrews is showing lessons from the Old Testament. And so you get to see really the, the eisegesis, Jesus, the, 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 the hermeneutics in practice, right? Of a first century writer using the Old Testament to apply and to encourage and to challenge modern Christians, which is exactly what we do all the time now, right? So it's a great book for that. So, so we're going to see entering his rest. And of course, the analogy is, is the Hebrews came out of Egypt. They wandered the desert and then they entered the promised land. Analogy for us is we come out of, out of bondage to sin and we, we go through a time of testing. This is our lives. And then they enter the rest, which is heaven, right? And, and, and he's going to be talking about that quite a bit in, in the next couple of chapters. So therefore, since we have the promise of entering his rest still stands, and there's, we have this great promise ahead of us, heaven. He says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Um, I, uh, this, uh, it has, uh, one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. Uh, the, the let us is actually, be afraid, or it's, it's a phobeth, phobothemenos, or fe, be afraid, the word phobos, fear, um, of having fallen short of it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like that. There's a classic line, um, in, in Star Wars where, you know, where, where young Luke is saying, I'm not afraid. And, and Yoda's saying, you will be, you know, this is kind of that line. Be afraid. You know, that, and this, and what should we fear? We should fear falling short of God's rest. 
We should fear not making it all the way. We should fear falling away, letting something deceive us or fear uh, thwart our efforts and, and not making it all the way. I mean, the people who died in the desert didn't get to go to the promised land. I mean, they left Egypt singing and dancing and celebrating that they were going to the promised land. If you ever watch the Veggie Tales, the song, we're going to go to the promised land, the promised land. They were so excited. They didn't make it. Why? Because their lack of faith, because of their unbelief, which is the warning of chapter three. And he says, for we also have the, had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. You know, they didn't have the faith of the, who was it that kept the faith? Well, there was two guys who did, Joshua and Caleb. Remember they had a, the, the, the Bible says, uh, they had a different spirit, right? They didn't have the same spirit. They had a different spirit and therefore they were allowed to, despite the fact that thousands left Egypt, only two got to enter the promised land. And it was the descendants of the thousands that got to go because they believed and, and the others did not believe. So, and, and there's an interesting correlation there. You know, he says, he talks about them not making it because of their lack of obedience. And you, you actually see a, that the word obey and the word faith are interchangeable. Back in verse 18 of chapter three, it says, and whom did God swear that they would not, never enter his rest if, if not those who disobeyed, right? It's those, and here he says, because they did not have the faith of the obedient ones. Um, verse three says, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. So, so those that rebel, those that, uh, that, that, that do not believe God, do not put their faith in God, do not trust God, do not rely on God, never make it. And he says, I'm telling you right now, on oath even, he says, in his anger, they're not going to make it. But the ones who hang in there, who keep believing God, who keep relying him on him, trusting him, they will make it. And they will be blessed to enter the rest of God. They will receive God's blessing. And that's that's the Christian life right there. You know, there's always people around us bailing out because they choose to not believe or they choose to stop depending on God, stop trusting him. And But you and I, we've got to be the ones who are remain faithful, who 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 hang in there and do not back off our faith and our belief. And he says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in the words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. I love this line because the writer didn't remember where it was written. He said somewhere it is written. I love that. because And I use that line sometimes when I can't remember where the reference is. I'll say somewhere it's written, somewhere the Bible says, you know, and I love that because, you know, obviously, yes, the Holy Spirit's involved. Yes, God is involved, but, but there are clearly fingerprints of humans in all of the Bible writings. And, and it, it just, it's, it makes it very real, makes it very honest. And it says for somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And of course, we're, we're talking about the book of Genesis here, right? 
um, Genesis 2, 2 to be exact. Um, and he says, and again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, so so again, it's it's when God calls us, what is our response? How do we react to God? How do we respond to him? How do when when we go through a challenging time? Make no mistake, God is involved and God is watching and God is there. And the the classic mistake is people think, where's God? He's not around. He's abandoned me. He doesn't care about me. He does. He's always there. He's always watching. And he always, he always rewards faithfulness. But it takes time. And that's the part where we struggle with. We want everything now, now, now. God, rescue me right now. God, answer my prayer right now. God, do what I want. The two things that get us in trouble is we don't want to wait and we want it our way instead of God's way. And if we can wait and be patient, waiting on the Lord, and if we can trust God and believe him and know that whatever he does, it's what's going to be best ultimately, then we're fine. And we'll make it all the way. We'll, we'll make it all the way. We'll be strong all the way. But if we abandon those, and we want it in our timeline, in our way, you're never going to make it. Because God is God and we are not. And so... He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't, 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 don't abandon God. Don't abandon your faith in him, your trust in him, your devotion to him, your your reliance on him. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about that another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So, you know, they had, there's three different rests we're talking about here. We're talking about the Sabbath, we're talking about the promised land, and we're talking about heaven. And heaven, of course, nobody has that one yet, but it is coming. And it is what's promised for all of us who are faithful. He says, um, for anyone who enters God rests also rests from the works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Whose example? The people who rebelled in the desert. The people who stopped trusting God. The people who's done, you know, even the idea of, you know, when they got to the, to the border of Canaan and they sent in the spies, whose idea was that? Was that God's idea to send spies? No, that was their idea. Now God helped them. God, he works with us. He always works with us. There are many concessions God makes for our lack of faith. But that wasn't what God wanted. God wanted them to just march in and take it. They're the ones that didn't believe. They're the ones that were struggling with doubt and decided they wanted to send in spies first. Why do you need spies if God has already given it to you? You don't. But because of their lack of faith, God worked with them. He even told them who to pick and how to send them in and everything. But God already knew it was going to be a failure because they didn't just trust him. They should have just marched in and taken the promised land. 
That's what they should have done. But they didn't do that. They didn't just trust God. So he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of their disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Now, he kind of switches subjects here. And a lot of us know this scripture because it's in our our basic study of the word, the word study. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing sword. It penetrates, excuse me, it penetrates even dividing soul, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing because, uh, in our culture, we don't really value the written word as much anymore. We're, we're so visual now. We're so used to multimedia, but we have to remember that for thousands of years, the written word was how anything was communicated and how information was transferred. More than that, even there's an understanding, especially among the Hebrews, among the Jews, that every word of God is powerful. That the word itself, the logos, right? The word itself has power. Um, it, you know, the, the Hebrews at the beginning says that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Everything is sustained. God said, let there be light. And it was so. All of creation came about through words. So words are very powerful. Every single word is has its own power to change. You know, when, when we study the Bible with somebody and we're showing them scriptures, most of the time, it's the first time that that person has ever really jumped into the Bible and ever really listened to the scriptures. And you can see the power of it changing them, changing their mind, changing their heart, which changes their life. And, and we can see it. And it's, it's not because we're great at persuading people to change their lives. It's not because we're so wise and understanding. It's not because we're so amazing. It's because the power of God is being unleashed on them. And it's transforming their minds. It's transforming their hearts. How do we know that? Well, because it happened to each of us. I mean, this happened to me. My life radically changed when I started reading the Bible. And it wasn't, I mean, I appreciate Jeff Chacon reached out to me and I appreciate the church that impacted me and the preacher who was preaching that, that inspired me, but I didn't do it for them. And they're not why I changed my life and devoted my life to Jesus. It was the word of God. It was Jesus who is the word of God. It is it. So it's, it's his word that changes everything. It's his word that builds up our faith. That, that grows, that, that, that feeds our faith and makes it stronger. So why, why is he talking about the word all of a sudden in the middle of this big discussion on faith? Because they're tied together, right? Because your faith grows by the, by spending time in the word of God, by listening to those words. Just the act of listening to them changes you. It is powerful. It's why memory scriptures are so important. You know, it's why we need to take the time to memorize scripture so that when something happens, we have a scripture for it. When Satan attacked Jesus in the desert, 
He quoted scriptures. Why? To show how religious he is? No, because the scriptures were his shield. They were his armor, his protection. They were his, his, his missiles back at Satan. They were how he waged war. How well would we do if we were in that debate? How many scriptures can we quote? Not for the sake of quoting scriptures, but for the sake of using scripture to protect yourself, to guide yourself. Though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They protect me. Just being able to say that, say that to yourself 20 times. It changes you. It changes you. I, you know, so many scriptures that I've memorized over the years that just protect me, that guard my heart, that keep me safe, that keep my mind clean, that keep my attitude right. The power of the word of God. And it's what he's saying. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates deep down inside. It makes a difference. And trust me, everything he says is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. A lot of times what we're, what we're afraid of is, is we're afraid of injustice and we're afraid of injustice remaining that, Oh, this is wrong. And, and, and is anybody doing anything about this? And does God see this? And the answer is yes, he does. And will he act? Yes, he will again on his time and in his way not ours. And that's where we have to have faith. But faith in what? God. And in the power. And how do you, how do you have faith in God? By reading his word, by staying in the Bible, by keep reading, reading the examples, memorizing scripture, quoting scripture to ourselves, you know, to, to just to remember scripture and how to stay close to God. And then he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Now he switches the, the, the subject back to what he had been talking about earlier. He says, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the son of God, who holds firmly to the faith we profess. This is, so he's going back to Jesus being the high priest. And remember, what is a priest? A priest is someone who represents the people to God, but he's also someone who represents God to the people. In, in, in Latin, the priests were called the pontifex or the, the bridge builders. They're the go-betweens. And, you know, if, if you grew up Catholic or, or Lutheran or, or into the older traditions, then the priest was always the person you interacted with. That's who you interface with. That's who you talk to about God. That's where you got your information. Okay. It's the same model as, as the priest, the priest in the temple. They, they had, they had that same very similar role where they would interact. They represented God to the people and they represented the people to God. In fact, on the day of atonement was the high day where they made sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people to keep things right with God, with the people. And that was a very important job. But here's the thing is that they were just people too. I mean, they weren't, they weren't any better off than the rest of us. I mean, they had that role, but they, they had to start out by making sacrifices for their own sins because they were sinners too. But Jesus was not a sinner. 
And Jesus was perfect before God. I mean, what a great high priest. You can almost think of them as your lawyer to God. What a great lawyer. What a great spokesman. I mean, if you had anybody represent you in a trial, can you think of a better person than Jesus <laughs> to represent you? And that's basically what he's saying. You have Jesus as your high priest, as your lawyer, the son of God. And he says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So because of that, because of who is batting for us, because who our pinch hitter is, because who is standing up for us, because who is representing us in court, because who is standing before God and pleading on our behalf. Hold firmly. Don't let go. Don't quit. Don't back off. For we do not have a high priest. And then, and then he goes to a whole other level. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. We get, we have a priest who, who gets us. He's been through it. You know, I mean, I, you know, when, when I, when I meet somebody who's from the barrio or somebody who grew up poor, there's an automatic kinship. We know, you know, we uh, we can just look at each other. We know, you know, what it's like out there. We know the world and how rough it can be and how intense it can be. But it's kind of the way Jesus is. He knows. He knows what it's like to live on this planet. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to try to be righteous in all situations. He knows what it's like to be discouraged, to be abandoned, to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be beaten, to be unjustly treated. He knows all those things. All those things we wrestle with and we fight with. He knows. He gets us. You know, we, we have all these, the, we, we, we have so many things happening in our world and, and, and to tr trying to achieve racial harmony, racial understanding, racial unity, respect all, everybody respect each other, everybody appreciate each other. And, and the fact is that Everybody has a natural kinship with people of their own background, right? If you're Chinese and you see a Chinese guy at the store, you're going to naturally have a kinship with him. Or if you're black and you see somebody black and everybody else is white, or if you're white and everybody else is black and, and you see somebody else white, there's a natural kinship or Mexican or whatever. The natural kinship we have is with Jesus because he gets us. He lived our life. He knows what it's like. And says, therefore, because of all that, we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let's be confident, secure, solid, Let's, let's, let's have a great shalom because of who Jesus is. That we can be confident, secure. Because as we appear before his throne, the throne of grace and mercy and kindness, and get help in our time of need. I mean, how awesome is that? How great is that? You, you've got somebody in your corner. You've got your, your dad is the governor 
in the state you've committed your crimes. Your dad is the judge in the court that you're about to be held accountable for what you've done wrong. And your lawyer is Jesus. I mean, how awesome is that? It, it It's so awesome it would never be allowed in a court today that your dad be the judge and your older brother who loves you be your lawyer. But that's the way it is. That is what God has set up because we are under grace, not under the law, not under righteousness. None of us will make it by righteousness. All of us will make it purely by the grace and the faith of Jesus. So he says, so let's confidently approach this God. How awesome is that? And that's the end of chapter four. And we stop there. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 